and welcome back to the New York Painters Podcast in partnership with Inside the Rink. I'm your host, Jacob Berkowitz, and I'm alongside our guest, Nick Zararis. Nick, how's it going? Um, it's better than the Rangers are going. I will say that much. <laughs> I'm fair. doing better today than the Rangers did yesterday. That's that's definitely fair. So obviously, the last time we talked, things were going a bit better. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and, and you were in Penn Station doing this, not yes. at your home, you know, with all your equipment and all that. Um, that was obviously when uh, Rangers beat Pittsburgh game seven in overtime, uh, which was nuts. Uh, and yeah, so we're here now, well, like six months later. Uh, there's a lot of questions with the coach, with the lineups, with the players. And uh, I, you know, I want to get into the nitty gritty of like each individual problem. But okay. let's start up with just first, let's just start off with the overall about go on what is your confidence level in him right now um it's it's complicated because face value you would say he's very obtuse with the media he doesn't give you particularly good answers so it's hard to really understand what he's thinking and then based on how he manages the game he he's not a very hands-on coach when it comes to managing the game he's very content to just keep rolling the lines wait to, for it to fix itself as opposed to constantly juggling it and it's complicated because you you know he has the ability to get something out of this group, but he's not doing that right now. And you you have to wonder to yourself if this is a him problem or a lineup problem. And it it, it you could go either way right now because nothing happens for one reason. There are a lot of reasons the Rangers are having a hard time right now. It's not just him. It's not just the lineup. There's a cup of four or five things that are all compounding into each other at one time that are making them a very mediocre team as opposed to a good team. Hmm. Um, so with Golan, uh, I wanted to ask you, like, there was a comment that Vin, that he said to Vince. I just wanted to know what your thoughts were. So just to let you know, for me personally, uh, the past, like the past two months or so when the Rangers season started, I have been defendant of Gallant and mm -hmm. I buy, come on, it's only November, give the guy a break, you know, yeah. things, you know, yeah, it's only November. It was only 15, 20 games in. It's not the end of the world. People, uh, teams go through rough patches and, you know, wait till Gallant, you know, does something and let's see. But th this one kind of is hard for me to defend him is when Gallant said, uh, when Vince asked about, you know, Kravtsov, would it be detrimental to his development, you know, him not playing as much? And he said, quote, I'm not worried about that at all. No one, not one bit. They're with an NHL team. Now, I mean, I, I, I know we're not NHL coaches. We're not, you know, all that. But I think, you know, we're too smart enough people to understand that they need to play in order to learn. I, I mean, what, what, what do you think of that comment that he made? No, that's generally the belief. I mean, I came into this year not expecting to get anything out of him because they've yo-yoed him. He hasn't really managed to get real NHL time, and he's already draft year plus three at this point and hasn't really stuck. I mean, he had an okay season in the KHL last year, but for somebody who, you know, already 20 years old, wasn't really lighting it up over there, he was pretty good. He wasn't anything special, but I didn't expect anything from him, and, and you knew the first reason they had to pull him out of the lineup for a carpenter for a vz they were going to take it because that's the type of coach galant is somebody who wants low risk low reward 
Hope the game stays close. Hope they can swing the game with the power play, swing the game with one big save from Shesterkin. And that's what they rode all last year. That That's what they rode all last year. And they're just trying to recreate the formula they had last year right now. And it, that's in part why it's not working. They are just expecting things to come to them. And it's not happening. Do you think that there's a bit of like, I, I'm not saying this because I saw it anywhere. And again, I'm just asking from your perspective. Do you think there's a bit of bit of disconnect between Galan and the players? I know he's not a hands-on coach. I know he lets the players do their thing. He's a very, you know, players coach mentality, which is a lot of why, uh, which is why a lot of players like him. Do you believe that there might be disconnect there or not yet? Uh, it's complicated because you would think that a coach like this, the biggest part of being a player's coach is knowing when you have to rein things back in. You see, you know, when it goes wrong with the player's coach, because it goes wrong very fast. You think about the flyers last year at the start of the year with Vigneault, where very quickly things spiraled out of control and he had no means of getting it back on the tracks. Now, granted, the Rangers are a significantly more talented team than the flyers were last year. And their record is a lot better that they are strong struggling right now but they're right there for that last playoff spot it, even if they get leapfrogged in the standings but tomorrow by before the end of tomorrow it's not the end of the world it's early but as far as a disconnect it's complicated because the rangers don't have a fundamental identity they're they're not an up and down tempo team they're not a four check you into oblivion team they don't really have anything that you would say they are elite at they're not a lockdown defensive team igor hasn't been an elite goalie yet this year now, that's not to say none of those things can't happen over the course of a season with more time you're more inclined to figure out what type of team you want to be but as of right now they don't really have anything they can lean on and that's why everything kind of feels so tenuous right now where one bad break in every game that can be it that's it that's the death knell when you're up the with these big leads you think about the loss to the islanders a couple weeks ago the loss to the red wings a couple weeks ago and then the loss yesterday to edmonton the same recurring problem over and over again of just waiting for the game to come to them as opposed to pushing the game in their favor that's because they don't have a style they want to particularly play every line every line is still kind of in a weird place right now especially the way they reconfigured the lineup whatever it was i think it was three weeks ago now when they reconstituted the kid line and then put Gaudreau and bz in the top six ever since they did that what was working before even when they weren't playing well where they were getting good underlying results even though they weren't scoring now they're not even getting good underlying results and they're not scoring which is discouraging so right now it's a lot of things, but as far as a disconnect would go, I mean, he's still stumping for this group. I mean, you heard what he said before about, about Kraftsov, about not wanting to get him in that he's the 13th forward right now. I like our group and I think we're not that far away. That's a, that's a testament to the team that he thinks everything is just a matter of results as opposed to process that they don't think they're that far away. And going back to, we talked about what their, you know, style is, uh, one thing that I noticed last year, it was besides Shesterkin. Obviously, last year they kind of leaned on him, as you mentioned. They don't have anything to lean on this year. It wasn't really style. It's kind of more like this year, like last year, they may not have been, you know, that that like elite offense or elite defense, but they played with heart. They had yeah. so much more resilience. They played with hunger. They played with they had something, you know, to prove and all that. This year, they they just don't play with purpose. They, you, yeah, sure, they're, they're playing hockey, but you know, they they don't do these little things. I'm not talking about doing massive hits like all over the place. I'm not, you know, 
Yeah, saying that. I'm just saying like getting more involved into the plays and all that. Um, do you think that's a missed message from the coach to the player or does the players have to figure that out? That's human nature. They got a taste of playoff hockey. They thought coming into this year, okay, we're a playoff team again, and just assumed it would come to them because it's largely the same group as last year. Yeah, you lost Cop, you lost Mott, and you lost um, Strom, and you lost Vetrano, but you figure Lafreniere, Kako would be able to reasonably replicate the production of Cop and Vetrano, and you figure maybe Kraftsoff can give you something on that third line, and Trocek should be able to reasonably replace Ryan Strom, and Yaro Halak should be reasonably be able to replace Georgiev. They thought they would just run it back. We've seen this happen the year before the um the season before. Three of the four teams that went to the conference final they didn't make the playoffs the following season. It, it's just part of this process. It happens. It, you have a le- emotional letdown, and that's the thing. It's not that they're not trying, that they're not consciously trying to do better. It's a subconscious thing. It's human nature. You feel like because you've already done something. Thing. You don't have to work as hard about anything in your life. You'll feel like that's reasonably true. Once you've accomplished something, it doesn't feel as hard to do. So you're not going to want to work as hard if you feel like you can get there with 80%, 90% effort. And right now, that's the issue. You saw it yesterday against Edmonton. They felt like, okay, 3 nothing after 2. We got this. It's over. And they just didn't make any real pushes. Sure, they had a, a couple okay looks. But the goals they conceded, I mean realistically, and I've been saying this for two months now, they just need to play better. There is plenty of talent on this team. They're just not playing like it. And as you mentioned, that was another thing I was going to get to is 60 minutes full play. Now, obviously they had a problem with that last year also, but I don't, I don't think to this degree, like what helped them last year is they may not have played 60 minutes, but what helped them is they had that resilient factor that kind of canceled that out. Yeah. Um, But now since they don't have that, it's kind of been, you know, a spiral downward. And do you think that, like, how do you solve that? Is that like you bring someone from the outside? Is that you bring someone from Harvard? Is that you change up the lines? What, what do you, where do you even start? Well, number one, it starts with your leadership. That's the biggest reason I didn't want them to make Truba the captain. I've said this all summer. I said this last year. I didn't think there was a captain personality on this team. Pretty much everybody who was on this team was on the team two years ago where the season spiraled out of control under David Quinn and nobody stepped up that season. Shit hit the fan. Everybody got fired. A year went by. The only thing that changed was Igor was the best goalie in the league and Trub is the captain now. That's really all that changed between the two years ago and last year in terms of why the team was so much better. I didn't think Truba had the personality to be a captain because he was here the year before. If he was that great of a leader, he would have put his foot down about Tony D'Angelo constantly making sarcastic comments in the locker room until he eventually got punched in the face. Jacob Truba would have instilled a, hey, we defend each other. Even though Truba wasn't dressed in that game against Washington where Tom Wilson dulled Panarin. Truba, if you're that much of a leader, hey, we don't do shit like that here. If someone is in trouble, you go help your teammate. You deal with the penalty after that. I didn't think he had the the demeanor, the temperament, the personality for it. I'm sure Truba's a nice guy and everybody on the team likes him. 
I, I don't know if he has the means to be like, hey, cut the shit. Let's go here. We got to find a way. I mean, everybody's using that clip today of after the third Edmonton goal where Dreisaitl knocked his stick out of his hand and Truba just didn't react to it. Like, that's what that's the kind of shit you're talking about here. Are you going to be able to galvanize this group and find a way as far as how you fix it? I mean, short of like the old school kick in the ass. I mean, you could healthy scratch somebody who gets paid real money. The Islanders did that a couple times early in the season when they were struggling, where they healthy scratch Josh Bailey a couple times. It's easier to do it in other sports where you have a little bit more depth. Like in baseball, you just healthy scratch your best player one day. That's not a big deal. The Rangers don't have anybody else. That's the other issue here is there is nobody in the minors you could bring up for a shot in the arm of just new guy experience. Unless, I mean, you could keep rejiggering the lines. I mean, that's probably the most logical solution to this issue is you keep waiting, you keep reconfiguring the line until you get better results and the better results fuel a better mentality a better approach and if things are going well everybody's a little bit easier a little bit more loose because right now you can feel it's all kind of tight the team is playing tight they're waiting for the other shoe to drop they're not really prosecuting the game and playing how they want to play they're going to have cap space to add somebody but it's too early. Nobody's going to trade anybody that good this early in the season because nobody's really out of it yet. There's a couple teams like Ed, um, like the Ducks, the Blue Jackets. There are a handful of teams that are already out of it. But most teams aren't, even the Blackhawks, who I know everybody wants Patrick Kane this, Patrick Kane that. The Blackhawks aren't trading him until February. They're just not because they need to sell tickets the first half of this season and be able to entice people, hey, we're going to rebuild. But if you're in here now, that Doobie can be part of that rebuilding process. That's months away. It, it is not even December yet. You cannot be banking on your deadline acquisition being the difference. Because if you're nine, 10 points out of a playoff spot come the trade deadline, you only got a month and a half to make up those 10 points. And that's not to say the teams in front of you are going to help you along the way and lose. It, it, they're, they're putting a lot of eggs in the basket of all we need is one move, one little thing here, and we'll be right, right back to where we need to be. There are quite a few problems with this team, as you were saying before. There's a good four or five things that are jumping out when you watch them. Um, uh, Going back to Truba, obviously, I, I, I kind of agree with you there uh, that just it just seems his – uh, characteristics, just the mentality there. It just he doesn't seem to be bleeding leadership. Now, I was kind of skeptical coming into this season because I'm like, there are stuff like we we evaluate stuff right based on the eyes, right? It's easier because we see what's going on, but yeah. in the locker room, we don't see. So right. I was kind of, you know, okay, let's see where this Truba captaincy goes because I'm like, listen, we don't see what happens in the locker room. We say that you know he's not leadership. Maybe in the leadership in the locker room is that great where you know it's good enough. Obviously, it seems that's not the case. And I know captains aren't always the best player on the ice, right? You got Ryan Callahan. You have like you have all these players that they just have, you know, leadership skills. Like not everyone is Connor McDavid with the C. You know, there are yeah. a bunch of teams that have captains who aren't the best player. But you still, as the captain, have to perform to your abilities. And I know there are rumors of Trua being injured and stuff. But, well, two things is either if you really are injured and as of right now, you're not really helping your team, then what are you doing on the ice? And two, I mean, if you're on the ice, it's not just like his injury, just his defensive IQ is just not there. I mean, what, what would you he's making eight million. He has a no movement clause. 
right? You're you're stuck in the ground on that one for at least until 2024. So how do you adjust around that? I mean, do you would you change up maybe the defensive pairings? And do you believe that he should even be on the ice if he's injured? Okay, so there's a couple of layers to that. Number one, the assumption is if he's trying to play through it, this is something that is going to need surgery and going to take him out for an extended period of time, in which case the Rangers are probably screwed anyway, because if they only have Ke'Andre Miller, Lindgren, um, Fox, and then whoever you want to pull up from the heart from Hartford, that's not, an, that's not a good enough defensive group to make a deep playoff run. Like it just isn't like, even if you went out and you traded for somebody assuming that Truba would be back in time for the playoffs and you did the cap shenanigans like Tampa did a couple of years ago, you still need bodies. And and that's the thing we, I, I keep coming back to is the way the roster was constructed. They had no room for error with the way they've allocated their money and who they've allocated their money in. It's expensive when you're paying $8 million for a defenseman who does not produce a ton of offense, especially at five on five. It is fine to pay a defenseman seven, $8 million if they're going to contribute 40 plus 50 points, 40, 50 points, etc. that you can justify. But if Trouba's only going to be 30 points, most of them are going to be at five on five. They're going to be with second line. Usually that's who they, he's on the ice with. Okay. But it, it, that's the problem with the math and the calculus here, the way they've designed this roster. They have a lot of money tied up in guys who don't score goals. Barkley Goodrow does not score goals. The young guys, I, I, as good as Kako, I think Kako, Keto, and Lafreniere have played, none of them have scored a ton of goals. The Rangers are paying a lot in cap space for not a lot of goals, and it's the biggest issue. As far as the defense, I mean, I've been a proponent of saying they should be paying Lindgren with Truba and paying Andre with Fox because I think the skill sets match a little bit better, where you can just let Truba freelance and Lindgren can be your stay-at-home guy, and then on the opposite end, Andre can just worry about playing defense and not have to worry about Truba doing God knows what in the neutral zone or the defensive zone. But th- there's a lot of issues because it's not just the defense. I mean, the forwards haven't been playing good in the defensive zone either. When they get scare- scrambly where the other team has the puck below the goal line and there's just the tap in plays in front. I mean, that's in part because the forwards aren't doing their jobs in closing off the half walls and breaking up the cycle. There are a lot of systemic issues here. That's not just this player needs to play better. That player needs to play better. It is everybody needs to play better together, which has been a really big part of this. It's just there's not a lot of coherence in the way the Rangers play. Yeah, I mean, like, well, going back to uh, Kako Needle, What's with this pattern here? You got a first overall pick. You got a second overall pick. I mean, at some point, you just got to look at the organization and say, what are you doing? How are you developing these players? Now, I know skill eventually comes out either way, but man, I mean, I who did they have as the Ottermeyer, Tanner Glass? Jed Ottermeyer, yeah. Yeah, Matt Jed Ottermeyer, Matt Hunwick, and Tanner Glass are the three yeah, they have for player development, yeah. I mean, like, how, how do you, like, do you, like, think that maybe Laugh and Kako, like, is skill, like, if there is the skill, you know, of course, development matters, but if they truly have that skill, it'll come out anyway, or do you believe the Rangers kind of really hurt their development? Oh, no, when it comes to development, I'm very much a proponent that environment matters a lot. I mean, we talk about this a lot in football with quarterbacks where 
if the environment is okay, you can get by with subpar quarterback play, but that the most important part of a young player's development is getting them acclimated to playing at the new level, finding what they're good at, and then maximizing what they're good at. As far as the Rangers, when you look at the team's recent history, so we'll say to about Tortorella on, all of the team's best and most important players were either from other organizations or guys who had extended time in other leagues. You think about who is good on this team right now. Adam Fox, three years of college hockey. Keandre Miller, two and a half seasons of college hockey. Jacob Truba, multiple seasons of college hockey and four years in another organization. You think about Zabinijad, multiple years in another organization. Kreider, multiple years of college. Panarin, multiple years in another organization. And he didn't even come over till North America until he was already 25 years old. Trocheck, other organization, Kako Lafreniere, Heedle, only Ranger, only NHL ice time. I, I do think the Rangers really screwed the pooch when it comes to Kako because he so clearly needed to go to the AHL his rookie season, and they just didn't do it because they didn't like the optics of sending the second overall pick down. He needed time to marinate. Like, he's definitely come a long, long way since then. Like, he was one of, if not the worst forwards in the entire NHL his rookie season because he was just so out of his depth. The NHL game was so much faster than what he was used to, and he's come a long way. But he still can't finish. He still doesn't have a ton of confidence in his play. He still He's making things happen, but they're not scoring when he's on the ice. And it's unfair to judge people based on are they scoring goals or not. But when the team is struggling like this, the assumption was that him and Loff and Hedl were going to take a jump offensively to make up for the loss of the players they lost in the offseason. Because they're not doing that, and because Shesterkin is not playing like the best goalie in the league right now, Everything is being everybody is looking for somebody to blame for why things aren't working, and they are getting a fair share of the blame. The overpriced veterans are getting a share of the blame. Gallant is very clearly getting a share of the blame. And out of the three, I I don't like ever blaming one person. I believe it's multiple components, multiple people. I don't believe just one thing 99% yeah. of the time is usually the problem. But where do you if you have to pick not one of those three, where would you start with? Um, the goal scoring has been an issue all year. The goal scoring was an issue last year, the year before that, the year before that, the year before that. The Rangers have a lot of redundant skill sets. They have accumulated good players, but not players that necessarily fit together, which that's an issue that I don't think a lot of people really think about because they have good players like Zabinijad, Panarin, Kreider, Trocek. These are good NHL players who have shown the ability to perform at a high level as recently as last season, and they aren't playing that badly this year. They're just not getting the results. As far as the blame, I, I put it at the front office and the developmental stuff is they designed this roster with no room to adjust, no flexibility to speak of on the assumption that Igor is going to be one of the five best goalies in the league. Most nights we're going to be able to score on the power play close to one out of every four tries. And as long as we tread water at five on five, we're fine. Right now, the power play is, I think, 16th in the league. They're at like 18%, something like that. Not nearly what it was last year. Igor is playing better as the season's gone on. He's definitely finding a little bit of a rhythm, but he's not playing at the peak he was last year. It, so to answer your question, yeah, I would say it's on the front office for the way they've designed this roster and for the people they have in charge of talent development because the young guys 
And I will say, Schneider and whoever he's played with, whether it be Jones or Hayek, haven't been the reason the team are awful. The younger defensemen have played better, but that also helps because Zach Jones, you know, college hockey, Libor Hayek came over AHL time, AHL time. That's been the, that's really something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Is just it's the fundamental they, skills yeah. were developed somewhere else. Yeah, that's what I also thought. Uh, I I asked this to Drew like in preseason. I'm like, I notice a pattern. Like every single player, the only only exception was I believe Filipino. Yeah, Kittle has been. I mean, he had some AHL time, but not a significant amount. Right. I mean, yeah. like, yeah, it just seems like the going pattern is that the fundamental skills you do not want to develop with the New York Rangers. Like that's, no. that, that's a no. And um, if let's say now, like, obviously, like, here's the thing, like there's all obviously all these problems, but like VC and Kudrow in the top six, that, that, that doesn't help. Like I posted, uh, of course, it's the day where Kudrow had that highlight real goal. I knew the minute I posted that he's scoring tonight, but like, you look at the analytics, you just even look on the ice. The guy doesn't know offense. 99% of the time, he doesn't know offense. Then that 1% of the time, he has a highlight real goal. But, you know, that highlight real goal maybe happens twice a year. So, like, th- does that, you know, how would you change up the lines? Because if you put Laugh and Kaku in the top six, you have a problem with depth, too. And obviously, as you mentioned, we have no flexibility. How, how would you go amongst those lines? Okay, so I was thinking about this while I was taking a shower before. The way I would do this... I would play Zabinijad with Kako and Lafreniere. I would be playing Heedle with Panarin, and I do not know who's playing the right wing on that line. I would play Kreider with Trocek. I do not know who is playing right wing on that line. And then the fourth line is some car- combination of of Gaudreau, VZ, Carpenter, whoever you play, whoever you want to put on that fourth line. They're short two middle six forwards. They are short two middle six forwards the way the roster is right now. I'm all for just letting Kraftsov either sink or swim because they really don't have another option. I mean, I'm sure Ryan Carpenter is a nice guy. They brought him here for a reason. Gallant likes him from the time he had him in Vegas. But you got to see what you have in Kraftsov. Either he sucks or you can get some trade value out of him or he could produce for you. Not playing him is not helping you in any way at all. Yeah, um, I have been actually saying this on the pod for weeks now, uh, probably actually for over a month, was to have, like you said, the top line was Laugh, Mika Zibanejad, Kako. And, and I want to mention, people say like top players, top line. That's not how it works. You go based off of what the skill is. Right. Yeah. If everyone on the top line is a sniper, buddy, who's giving them a pass? Who, who's yes. going who, who's going at the board to forecheck to get the puck in the first place? So like you have Lafrenia, who's the playmaker, Zabanaja, the sniper, Kako, the forechecker. It's it's so perfect. You know, I, it's mind boggling why Gallant doesn't do that. And then I would have wanted. So I've been kind of back and forth. I've only mentioned Trocek on that second line, though I wouldn't be opposed to Hedl. That kind of sounds like fun to do, which the second line would be Panarin, Trocek, and then Kraftsoff. And then the third line would be Kreider, Hedl, Gauthier. Now that's a pretty fast third line. Yeah. I mean, I it's not, you know, it might not work, but, you know, it, it's worth the shot, which is like, it's also frustrating to me. Like you could say all day, it's not going to work, buddy. You haven't tried it yet. So that's the thing. With Gallant, like, you haven't even tried it yet. You And as you mentioned with Kravtsov, like, you don't even know what he is yet. And and the weird thing is, like, 
I don't remember if the game in Detroit, I don't remember uh, in Detroit, he had a pretty good game in Detroit. Yeah. Like he had a great play that caused a goal. And it looked like, you know, he might have been, you know, starting to get acclimated to North American ice hockey. And I'm like, okay, perfect. So when he comes back, you know, can go on finally, you're not, you know, put a fourth liner instead of him, you know, maybe let's see what he's got. And that hasn't been the case. Um, so yeah, no, those were also my lines as well. And uh, I wanted to ask, um, do you believe, I know this is way, way, way down the road. I just wanted to mention this now. Do you believe that we should be going for the big fish or do you believe we should be going for the right players? Like meaning like a lot of teams go for the best player, not the right player, if that makes sense. Like yeah. I, I looked over history or the, even the past 10 years. I mean, as a Rangers fans, we know because I mean, we always got the big fish and we always came up short, but you notice the teams that didn't just get the best player. No, no, they got the players they needed. They got the players that filled the holes. You look at Colorado with Lechtenen. You look at um, Washington. They made the smallest move they got. Was it Nick Jensen or Kempe? Just to solidify yeah. that top line. And they were golden. I, I remember the last year before, they got the big fish, Shannonkirk. And Shannonkirk didn't even have a big enough effect that, you know, Kempe or uh, Nick Jensen had. So what do you think about that? What, what would you do? Right now, this team has multiple holes. I don't think it's viable to say we're going to bring in one impact guy and just slide everybody down a spot, and that's going to be the solution. I mean, realistically, they need another defenseman because they are one injury away from having to play Matthew Robertson, who has never played in the NHL before. They need at least one, if not two, middle six forwards because I think Gautier is playing a lot better, but I would feel a lot better if he was playing fourth-line right wing as opposed to third-line right wing. And they still need to sort out the other two. I I'm fine playing Kako wherever you want to play him. He's been fine this year. He hasn't gotten on the stat sheet a ton, but he's not the reason the lines aren't scoring. Kravtsov, again, they don't want to play. And then VZ is fine if you want to play him as the fourth-line right wing or the fourth-line left wing. You can't be playing him in the top six. And Goudreau... Goudreau should be at best the four, the fourth line center, I think is the best spot for Goudreau. It's most suited to his skill set where he's not going to have to worry about offense. He only has to worry about four checking and defense. Whereas when you play Goudreau in the top six, a lot of the time he's not be able to receive those passes from Panarin because he just doesn't have the hands to receive the pass. So to answer your question, yeah, no, they can't be allocating five and a half million dollars at the deadline to one player when they have two or three legitimate holes. I mean, you saw what adding four guys at the deadline did for a team last year. That was pretty shallow adding a fourth line winger two top six forwards and an extra defenseman realistically that's what they need they need two middle six forwards and an extra defenseman and i'd be fine with that and um i know we've talked about a lot of, uh, 5v5 and all that but i just wanted to mention power play um Zibanejad, it's clear as day it's just way too predictable teams are waiting for Zibanejad, you know set up that one timer would you swap anyone on that power play or would you change where people are on the power play? How, how would you manage that? So I was not the biggest fan of doing the one, three, one, the way they've been doing it, where Trojak is in that middle floating spot where he's trying to pull people towards him because now teams don't respect his shot. They'll give him that shot from the high slot there because it's not a high percentage shot and he's not a great finisher. They would rather prevent Zabinijad from getting that one timer. As far as the personnel, it doesn't really matter. Changing out one guy for Loft or one guy for um 
for Kako. Maybe if you wanted to argue Kako as more of a retriever type, worry about winning the board battles and resetting the cycle, okay. But I don't think changing the personnel is going to do anything. I think it's going to need to be a, a more a willingness of Fox or Panarin, either one, to shoot more. So Kreider is has more opportunities at deflections, at rebounds, and those ugly goals around the net mouth because they're not taking those shots that they were taking from the point last year. They're just trying to ride that one-timer. And like you were saying, it's just not there. Teams are not going to respect the other shooters on the power play because they just are waiting for the Zabinijad shot. And right now, that's why it's not working. Every team knows that's what's coming. Yeah, uh, last year, they well, I mean, they had this problem for years now with Zabinijad, like, it's always predictable. And when you see all of a sudden Panarin and Fox shooting more, as you mentioned, not only does Kreider get those, you know, dirty goals, but the teams now have to respect Fox and Panarin's shot. Now, I don't know why Panarin doesn't shoot that much. I mean, it's not like he doesn't have a bad shot or anything. We, I know he the goal got called off, but he he has a pretty good shot. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's like... When they shoot more, yeah, they have to respect those, you know, plays. And then Zibanejad's now wide open. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to go five back to 5 5 I apologize. Going all over the place here. No um, What is your take? Like, I, I've been saying this a lot, that they don't generate enough uh, plays in between the red dots, that they only play the perimeter game. Um, how How do you fix that? Like, is it just a mentality thing? Is it a system thing? What, what is it? It's a mentality thing for sure. I mean, when you go and look on whether you look on um, whether you look on Hockey Viz or you look on Evolving Wild and you just look at the shot maps and where physically where on the ice the shots are coming from and who's taking them game after game. The only people that are in those dirty areas are guys like Gaudreau, guys like Carpenter, lower guys in the lineup who aren't going to be able to finish those high danger scoring chances that you're, especially at five on five, you're seeing the bulk of the scoring chances from the high end players. We're talking about Panarin and Zabinijan coming from crappy areas, the top of the circle, the high slot without traffic areas that aren't likely to result in goals. And because the Rangers aren't a puck retrieving team, they don't have an aggressive, they don't, they aren't playing like an aggressive four checking team, even though that's all Gallant says that they are is a four checking team. They don't get the puck back. That's the other issue is they take a lot of these crappy chances from date low danger areas. And then they, that's it. That's the end of the possession. You did all of that work to get from your end through the neutral zone set up in the offensive zone. You get one scoring chance and not a particularly good one. That's a waste of a possession. And it sounds weird to break it down to possession by possession, but when the offense is struggling the way it is, you got to approach it like that. You got to have good intentions, good process. The puck's got to go below the goal line when you're struggling. Get it back up to the point. Look for deflections, for rebounds, the ugly stuff. That stuff is your that is how you break out of a slump. Is you got to start working harder than the other team and you need the rebounds, the deflections, the ugly stuff. That is how you break out of a shooting slump. And uh, with Galan, just final thing here. Um, when would you say, like, if let's say this team is projected, is let's say on the same, you know, track uh, in say December, January, when would you say to hit the panic button on Galan? Because obviously you have to assume the coach you want is available, right? You don't fire a coach if there isn't a better option out there. That's like, correct. That's management one one So, um, 
I know everyone screams trots. Um, is there a guy you like? And uh, when would you put the press the panic button on Gallant? Uh, as far as pressing the panic button, they're not firing him in season unless it goes bad. Unless it spirals out of control and they have like a 10-game losing streak somewhere between now and the trade deadline. They're not getting rid of him in season. I don't th- Barry is a better coach than Gallant. Like, I'm not arguing that. I don't disagree with that. I think Barry is 100% one of the five or six best coaches in the entire league. I think any team that hires him is going to get better. I don't think he addresses the Rangers' issues, which is the problem. Barry's teams don't score. They play great defense. The Rangers don't score enough to begin with. If you're going to take away some of the freelancing opportunities that the forwards already have at, to forsake for de- the sake of defense, that's going to limit what you're able to do. And yes, the defense has been a problem this year as well. It would be very nice to tighten up the defense and give Shesterkin an easier workload and get him into a rhythm that way. But I realistically don't think Trotz is going, I don't think they would, I don't think Trotz comes here. Number one, there's just too many reasons for him to not come here. Um, if they waited till after the season, I would take a stab at Burnett, the the Devils assistant coach who was the interim coach for the Panthers last year. I would take a stab at him if they moved on from Gallant after the season, but I really don't think so. I think Drury tethered himself to Gallant. They can't. I I, I know I was reading the other day that originally. Drury wanted to see if either Mike Sullivan or Rod Brindamore got fired first before they went out and talked to Gallant. But I, I don't think unless it gets like cataclysmically bad, you're going to see Gallant out of here. I just don't think there's a world in which it happens. Right. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, I have to agree to that because uh, yeah, it it just doesn't make sense because as mentioned, um, the, the option, the New Jersey's probably is not available. Uh, season though. No, and Trotz is not, you know, I don't, it's not even a guarantee that he wants to be around yet, right? I know he mentioned yes. he wants to play for original 16, but he literally just said five months ago that he's burnt out. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you can't say like, oh, let's get Trotz. You, you, that's assuming if Trotz, you know, wants to come over here. But uh, yeah, uh, I think that's going to be all. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for coming on. You want to post in your handle, what you do and all that? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Nick Zararis, C-A-R-A-R-I-S. I am a co-host on the Liberty Blue podcast. It's live every Monday, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. It's up on all the major podcasting platforms, usually Tuesday mornings. Co-host of Locked on Flames a couple times a week. That's a daily Flames podcast about the Calgary Flames, who are also like the Rangers, massively underperforming preseason expectations. Um, I manage, I do pretty much all the podcasts at Gotham as either a producer or a co-host. Um, I'm about to go record NYG Weekly as soon as we get off of this Zoom call. And yeah, that'll do it. Thanks for having me, man. This was fun. It's always good to talk puck. This was a little therapy for me because I didn't have to do as much legwork as I'm going to do for the show tomorrow. This was more just me getting things out. That it's I've just like freelancing, about. you know, getting yes. it all out, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And just talking it out. All right, man, Nick, thanks so much for coming on. Hopefully uh, we'll have you on again. And hey, you didn't have to record from Penn Station this time. You got to record with your own equipment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, I'm assuming it's much better this time around. Definitely better audio production. Definitely going to sound better. All right. Take care.